Howdy, folks. This is Camera Shake episode 139. And today, we're going to take your headshot game through the stratosphere with some incredible tips from today's special guest, the Calgary-based headshot and portrait guru, podcast host, YouTube educator, and generally one of the nicest guys in the genre. And you'll find out who it is right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 139, the podcast where we discuss photography, videography, and anything and everything that's got anything to do with any of that. With me, Kirsten Nuts, and today's special guest, give it up for Rafael Weigel. Rafael, man, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I feel extremely honored. Um, I've seen the list of the guests you had in your podcast is, is quite amazing, so being part of this I, I as i said I'm, i feel extremely honored and um yeah i'm, I'm really really looking forward to chat with you it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show i have learned so much from you and your um your, your first of all your youtube videos but also um your your headshots photography podcast which i've found very very interesting um uh, but before we get into that because today we're going to talk about um the like the 10 top tips to essentially get your headshot game through the stratosphere but before we get into that um you're based in calgary which is uh which uh, again this is another uh, family connection for me because i have family in calgary as well um and just to celebrate that i have dug out my old tim hortons cup <laughs> absolutely this is the most popular place for coffee uh the one interesting thing is when you well i'm sure you experienced that when you visit canada um uh, comparing let's say european countries like we drink a lot of coffee and i remember when my parents came first time to canada and they saw like you know the half a liter or liter buckets of coffee they were shocked because like you know in europe you you you, you drink like really small cups right and here you just come in and you get this like massive bucket of coffee yeah I think that's what keeps us alive here and keeps us from this cold weather. But Tim Hortons is like one of these places where you just go in and get all sorts of different amazing coffees over there. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a Canadian classic. And um, funnily enough, Tim Hortons expanding into the UK. So, okay. yeah, there's a Timmy's that uh, opened up um, near where I am in a, a town. Mm -hmm. I'm just outside of West London. So the nearest town is, is a town called Watford. And if uh, there's a Timmy's that's opened up there a few months ago, which is fantastic because I've, I've been able to introduce my kids to Tim Hortons. Okay. And well, Tim they Bits. have the best donuts, right? Ooh, donuts uh, and coffee. Those are the places. Absolutely. This is the place for stuff like that. Absolutely. Whole box of Timbits. Yes. Well, nothing <laughs> can go wrong with that. <laughs> awesome. So, um, okay, before we get into into our top tips, um, let's let's talk a little bit about your um, sort of your, your history with, with headshot photography because I know that you, I think you started your your life in photography shooting weddings. Is that right? That's correct. So, so the, long story short, my dad he was a photographer, and I think it's quite interesting that every photographer nowadays have some kind of connections with uh, their parents, right? So they started some kind of photography business, or they were like hobbyists or amateurs, which were like shooting some stuff. So I have the same story. My dad. Um, like he, it was, he wasn't professional photographer, but he kind of, um, how can describe this? He put that in our blood, um, me and my brother, 
and um, we had this like old cameras, you know, they're still film. We had a dark room where we just playing with all sorts of different, you know, ideas and concepts. And that's how I actually got into this. Right. And then when I was 20, um, I went to United States for some student exchange program and that, and then I ended up in Canada. So the first few years um, living here, I couldn't kind of legally work. So I couldn't do like anything related to photography. I bought some cameras and stuff, but um, as soon as I got granted with permanent resident status, I just got into it right away. And I started as a wedding photographer. And the reason was at that time, so first of all, there was a massive shift from film to digital, right? So I found this like extremely fascinating that, you know, you can take as many pictures as you, as you want. There's no limits on, you know, you have to purchase all this expensive film. So that was just like a really, like it was a revolution, I think, in this industry. And, um, and I think that was the best time getting into the wedding because I think the biggest kind of the market, um, I can describe this like, uh, promotional kind of thing that you could say to your clients, I'm, I'm going to take as many pictures as you want, because back then, you know, like you went to the photographer, you got, I don't know, 12 prints or 20 prints and that was it. Now, you know, with the digital that opened the new door for kind of photojournalistic style of photography, where you go to the wedding and you shoot getting ready, you were getting, you were shooting ceremony, you were shooting like literally everything. Right. So that was just like, for, for the clients was just an amazing experience that, you know, they could, the photographer could capture everything. Right. And I actually just like run into those times where this whole thing kind of become kind of norm. Right. And yeah, and I started shooting weddings and then was kind of also interesting how fast this whole thing grew for me. So like the first season I shot maybe four weddings. And the following season, I shot like 50. So like just went from wow. doing it a little bit into like the full time uh, professionally, you know, shooting photographer who are like basically busy literally every weekend for the entire year. Um, but yeah, so I was shooting weddings for the for over a decade. And then I started getting a little bit tired and I was like, OK, you know what? I, I just have enough. And I think also like I don't want to spend too much time on weddings, but I started shooting a lot of those cultural weddings, like, you know, Indian weddings where they were like four or five days straight. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> this is just killing me, right? <laughs> I can't do this anymore. And I started kind of like, what can I do to stay in this industry, but kind of leave wedding industry? That was kind of my goal. And then I started kind of like, oh, you know, the headshots, they're becoming the new, new thing. And I'm like, well, you know what, why don't I, what I'm going to try this and then, you know, see, um, how I can kind of grow in that industry. So the beginning was extremely hard because I was shooting strictly natural light with weddings. Like they never like, you know, speed lights are using only during the, uh, the evenings, right? Like, you know, the, the, not the, the ceremony sometimes, um, and then, you know, when there was a party, then I was using um, speed lights. But most of the time they were like on the top of my camera. Like I never had like, you know, speed lights off my camera where I was setting them up. I, I never had experience with studio lighting. That was just something completely um, new for me. And 
the good thing is I, when I started shooting headshots, I the approach I took, I didn't charge my clients at the beginning. It was like all like you know, whoever showed up, whoever was interested, whoever wants to kind of practice with me was more than welcome. And um, for the first three years during that transition, so I was still shooting weddings and I was just practicing shooting headshots. For the first, as I said, for the first three years was strictly uh, free for all. And uh, I've the main reason I've decided to do that is like I, I know from my wedding experience that if you want to charge people for you know your services, like you have to know what you're doing. And because this whole studio lighting for me was something completely, I first of all I didn't understand, I couldn't grasp how this whole thing works, um, how to set up the lights, how to kind of even make this whole thing work. Um, gave me the ability to learn and nobody was kind of pissed at me that you know, you hired me, pay me and I screw up where I didn't get uh, what I didn't, kind of, they didn't get what they what they expected to get not to mention I have to also point this out which is extremely important um, because digital photography also open up new doors for the retouching and, and, and editing images right and I, I'm sure you remember at the beginning, the Photoshop like was really wacky. Like the stuff was like, you know, first of all, I didn't know how to do it. Second of all, those that software was not developed properly yet. I think this whole thing was just 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 basically doing, you know, on trying things, but most of the time like this whole thing didn't work. And I had to learn that process as well. And I have to say that retouching took me way more time to to master and to learn than just the lighting and all the stuff and i've noticed even today a lot of photographers out there they 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 think that well if i'm going to get my lighting right i'm set but this is this is not true you have to master all those elements and i'm sure we're going to be talking about it uh, a little bit later that the to getting the, the right image, it's a process and you have to follow certain steps to get the, the right results. If, you, if you've missed one of those steps, this whole thing starts falling apart. And then that's the biggest issue nowadays that people just focus on one little thing or let's say they, they focus on the equipment, they focus on the lighting, they leave the retouching, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And that's why they're not getting the results. And I'm trying to throughout my message and whatever I teach people and whatever I'm sharing my, my, my experiences, I always say like, you gotta get the grasp on all those elements because you're not gonna be successful if, you, if you're not gonna do that. Exactly, because it's, it's really a finely tuned balance of all of these different aspects, which is why I yes. thought it'd be a great idea in today's episode to just break it down into these, these sort of 10 uh, 10 categories of 10 tips. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've broken it down. So we're going to be talking about, you know, lighting, backgrounds, angles, um, you know, dress, makeup and grooming, lenses, gear, and all the rest of it. So mm -hmm. as we'll go through that, I'm sure this will be a treasure trove for anybody listening. You know, if, uh, if anybody out there listening to this episode and you've been thinking about getting into uh, headshots or maybe you've been dabbling with headshots um, already, then this is the episode because I'm sure that we're gonna we're gonna um, drill down to the bare bones of it, uh -huh. um, and actually, also if you're into portrait photography, because in my mind, you know, and actually the reason why I was why I've always been so attracted to headshot photography, because I do a ton of headshots, um, <clears throat> it's to me it's like a modern form of portraiture, uh -huh. in a sense. So 
you know, I never get that feeling that I'm, you know, doing yet another headshot. It's to yeah. me, it's always like, oh, I'm creating a portrait of, you know, another person, which comes with its own challenges because everybody's different. Um, so I find it really interesting. And I, I, you know, I know I can nerd out about headshots, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. lighting techniques and retouching like four hours. But let's start, I mean, you mentioned it um, already. Let's start with lighting because lighting is really key. So what would be your top tip when it comes to lighting headshots? Um, well, I think the first tip would be go easy on the gear. That would be the, my first um, kind of advice. Um, I, I, from my experience, I started extremely heavy duty, high end equipment, and I was like confused. I, I didn't know how this whole thing worked. Uh, not to mention that another little element that a lot of my headshot sessions are done at my client's location. So I have to be mobile with this and with the heavy stuff. It was hard because you have to carry all this stuff. You have to kind of set it up um, in some kind of weird places sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you have to have, like nowadays it's a little bit easier, but back in the days, I have to have like outlets and I have to kind of have duct tape to kind of make sure everything is safe. Um, so I think, first of all, yeah, just go easy on the gear. Like you can shoot headshots with speed lights. And I've been doing this for, again, for a decade really simple cheap speed lights which i'm using for like years and years and years and like i was saying to myself i'm gonna replace them with something a little bit more advanced as soon as they they will, they will just kind of broke down on me right believe it or not i'm using this nikon sb800 and you cannot kill them like this these guys fall down i drop them they they break and then they, they got fixed and they keep working and so they producing me this amazing light which um, I can, you know, definitely use for my headshot sessions. And, and they're portable, they're light, you can take them anywhere, you can set them up anywhere. Uh, there's a lot of, I would say, discussion about, oh, well, they're not powerful enough and they, don't, they, they have this lag time where you have to wait for the next shot. This is not true. If you know how to properly set them up and you don't use the, you know, full power, you can, I can shoot five, six headshot session a day. I don't even have to change batteries. So this is just the nonsense that, you know, you need this like, you know, powerful lights, which going to produce you. Another element, which I want to point it out here is because the speed lights offer you low output of the light, you can mix that with the ambient light. So if you're in the situations where you're shooting in the office or you're shooting in some locations where it has a lot of interesting like ambient light, you can use that into your advantage. So you can mix those two lights, right? So I found kind of with the lighting, go simple. Don't spend crazy amount of money. Um, invest that in, I don't know, marketing or some other stuff. But with the lighting, uh, yeah, again, just, just, just the simple stuff. The one thing what I would suggest and invest is to having good uh soft boxes because especially if you travel and let's say you don't have like a permanent studio and you have to kind of put them up take them down on every session they might worn out quite quick so investing in that um soft boxes uh, buying something a little bit more uh robust something which is going to last a little bit longer that's what i would suggest 
And then just kind of summarizing this whole thing. Also, don't go crazy with, I don't know, 10 lights or five lights. I'm shooting with three speed lights, two soft boxes. Um, but technically, if I want to, I could just shoot with one speed light, one soft box. So Absolutely. you don't have to kind of go crazy with lighting. Uh, simplicity is the key uh, for getting good results. And, and, and again, like... The best way also what I, how I can describe this, uh, st start with simple setups. Don't go to those crazy ones. Because I know sometimes we go online and we see these amazing setups with, I don't know, four or five lights and then some amazing backgrounds and, you know, just all this uh, crazy stuff around. Start simple. Headshots, they don't have to be complicated. The more simple they are, the better results you're going to get. You can, you know, you can use other, let's say, reflectors, or you can use some other little elements which can polish the light a little bit. But start simple. And you start feeling that, okay, I need more, then go to the next step. Uh, don't kind of go opposite, right? And that's, a, you know, I think that's a thing um, that confuses people a lot. I'm, I'm currently teaching a lighting class, and I've really found that with, uh, with some of the students. Um, is that because there's so much information that's available on YouTube or online, mm -hmm. it's it's easy to get ahead of yourself or get you know and actually you end up confusing yourself, like you know because before you know before you've even mastered one light already you're thinking about hair lights and you know and and rim lights and and fill lights and all the rest of it, but actually all you need is literally one speed light and a pop off softbox. And you can you can get started, and you can learn how to use you know some some very basic lighting setups. You know, yes, like you know, master the the Rembrandt lighting first with one softbox and one speed light. Once you've done that, and you really know how how that works, and you know uh, how you set it up, and what effect it has on different people, because mm -hmm. well, different people have different noses, and immediately you're gonna have to yes. change your lighting. You know, um, then you know then you know move on to adding one other light and then once you've maybe a background light for example once you've done that you know and you get the hang of that then move on and add something else and that way you know you'd be learning just like you would learn in any other structured learning situation at school or at university where one block builds up on onto the onto the last one and so you progress your learning the problem with youtube as well i've always found is that when you start out with something that you have very little knowledge of the biggest problem is you look at YouTube as a learning resource. And of course, it is amazing because all the information is on there somewhere. But the problem is that you don't know what you don't know at that mm -hmm. moment. And so you're completely overwhelmed. And so you're randomly hitting one video and you watch that and you watch another video. And then you can, before you know it, you totally confused yourself. Yeah. And most of the time, or probably more often than not, you probably talk yourself out of a good idea <laughs> just by looking at, you know, looking at that wealth of information but tell you what, one thing you've um you mentioned um at the beginning um in terms of speed lights that i think is a, is a really really important point that's the the battery power because i hear that too all the time if people say oh yeah you know speed lights like you run out of battery before you know it and then you know you can change batteries all the time and it's inconvenient yeah, but the reality is of course if you think about it you don't have to shoot at iso 100 Every time you double the ISO on your on your camera, you you'll need half the power coming from the speed light. So you mm -hmm. can you can basically drop down your your speed light power 
by half. To fracture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, most of my sessions are shot at 132 of the power, yeah. which is like the fraction of it. Okay. And to be honest, I've done some testing and I can take on one set of batteries. Of course, those are like a rechargeable, a little bit like better batteries, but I can take around 4,000 images. And you probably, uh, let me guess, but you probably, I saw it's probably going to be somewhere around 320, 400, something like that. Uh, around 200, 300. Yeah. So yeah. immediately you're using considerably less power. And with ca with modern cameras today, there's really no reason to shoot any no. of these things at ISO 100. But also what I want to point it out, speaking of speed lights, if you, and this is something which I think a lot of people get kind of like screwed at the beginning. So I remember when I purchased, I, I used to shoot with um, alien chrome uh, uh, strobes mm -hmm. at the beginning. That was my kind of starting point. And the salesman, kind of convinced me that you need powerful lights. Of course, you do need powerful lights because the more power, the better. But when I bought those, and I think it was like 1200 watts or something, like extremely powerful. And I remember when I started shooting, um, I couldn't really, and I pointed out this like a few minutes ago, the ambient light, you know, from the surroundings into this lighting, because it was just overpowering like literally everything right and i was so frustrated sometimes because you know you have let's say i don't know some interesting background which you could use for your you know for your headshot and if i even just push my power to the minimum still was just so much right and that was frustrating and i think a lot of lot of photographers who are starting off and they're purchasing this really expensive powerful light it doesn't do any help, like doesn't help them much. It just makes them this whole thing even more difficult to manage. You need more lights to control it better. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's just frustrating, right? So, Basically. so yeah, I could go on and on about it. And I'm just a huge advocate of like simple speed lights because you can really, especially, I'm not saying if you're shooting some more advanced stuff like the fashion stuff or i don't know like some studio studio things it's 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 strictly headshots you really don't need expensive powerful lights you need like the simple simple lighting which will you know gives you a little bit of patch of light and then you can really easily control it i want to add one more thing which also is extremely important that we also living in the digital era where you can shoot the raw file and then you can bring everything in post-production as well, right? So there is no need, I would say, to spending thousands of dollars for some expensive strobe, which you can really use simple speed lights, a little bit of knowledge of, of, of editing and Photoshop, and, and you can just bring that image to whatever quality you want. That's it. Unless you live in Florida and you regularly try to overpower the sun. <laughs> Yes, that's, but that's either. another nonsense, right? That's another like kind of little example, which I think it's just stupid that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, if you're shooting in the, you know, like a broad light and it's like, you know, the, the power is like, you know, kind of hitting, like who goes when it's plus 40 outside and shooting and you're putting client, you know, facing the, the sun, like, it's just ridiculous. Like nobody does that, you know, it's, it's especially for headshots. It, it, it's just ridiculous. You know, people want to be in the shade. People want to be in a comfortable environment where, you know, they can focus on the photo shoot, not like start sweating because it's so hot. Um, and nobody puts anybody for headshots and they're like, you know, 
midday sun, you know, which is like hitting in your face <laughs> or even in the like it's just crazy, right? So like this is just the made up stuff just to sell stuff the way I be, see it, right? It's you know, it could be a new style getting people to glint. <laughs> In your headshot. Maybe that's true. Yeah. <laughs> this could be the next Look big at the thing. Sun. Yeah. This could be a next big thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, DVE Store. DVE Store's mission is to help you create better video and provide you with the tools necessary to explore your creativity. If you have any digital video equipment needs, whether that's camera equipment, audio gear, or lighting, and much more, you can check them out at dvestore.com. Thank you to DVE Store for the high def video. And of course, you can. Find a link to DVE store in the description. The next thing that uh, that is super important, I think, when it comes to um, to headshots is backgrounds. And I know this is how I actually found, originally I found some of your YouTube videos mm-hmm. because I tried to find inspiration for backgrounds, and then I came I came across your videos and I thought, wow, there's a whole thing of craziness out there. Yeah, <laughs> so. Um, tell me a little bit about how you approach backgrounds in in headshot photography. So the backgrounds. So let me start with a little bit of backstory. Um, so when I started shooting headshots, one of my biggest inspiration was Dylan Patrick. I'm sure you know who that is. Um, he started creating those cinematic headshots with those really cool backgrounds, and I found this extremely fascinating. And and it was something that I was just like, wow, like that's really take this headshot industry to completely different level. So that was my kind of the first step. And the problem what I hit was the fact that, as you probably know, Calgary, uh, it's pretty cold place most of the year. (laughs) And I was like, how I can take that concept and start using that indoors so I can create interesting backgrounds but not going outside. And to be honest, like I hate shooting outdoors because his work is mostly outdoors. Like he was going to some parks and then some other places. But I found this extremely frustrating for a couple of reasons. One, you know, when you had, when you are on the windy day, it's just a mess, right? Um, another problem what I hit in, especially in North America, is the fact that you might go to places which you cannot shoot, right? Like I've seen, for example, some amazing architecture which I could use as a background but then like one day I was arrested because I was just like trespassing you know like some private you know kind of property whatever and especially you know like you need some soft boxes and you know if you're shooting let's say some kind of like architecture you know with some little camera nobody's gonna just pay attention to you but if you start setting up lighting and then soft boxes all of a sudden you become the threat uh, to the society for whatever reason. And so that was another problem. Another issue what I ran into was the fact that, you know, like sometimes I, I was in the places where there's a lot of bystanders and the client feel uncomfortable, I feel uncomfortable, and there's people staring at the client. It was just a mess, right? So this whole thing started kind of like, it was a learning process for me. So I was like, okay, what I can do to bring that in to like indoors, how I can start creating those backgrounds in in my studio, in my my place. And that's how this whole thing started. I started using different materials. I started, you know, kind of discovering new things, trying new things. I was going through some crazy ideas. And I thought to myself, I know they were ridiculous sometimes, but I was just kind of 
excited and curious about, you know, what I'm going to get, you know, how this whole thing is going to look like, uh, what kind of effect I'm going to get. And the more I was practicing and trying new things, I, I got this like idea what works and what doesn't work. Right. So, yeah. And then I, I was started sharing those, those informations because I thought, you know, maybe someone sees it and can take it to the next level and then they can use it for themselves. And one of the things which I don't know, like I, I never was kind of like hiding those informations because I always thought like, well, you know what, what's the point, right? And I didn't want to be this one of those photographers who like, you know, create something and keep it secret how it was done. And I also noticed, which also is funny, people were more excited about the process rather than, you know, just the final image because they're like discussing it and they're like, you know, questions. And then there was like discussions about, wow, that's a cool idea. I'm going to try this. And they were sending the pictures, how they tried to replicate those things. And that was for me exciting because I was like, wow, you know what? People actually take this seriously and they try it at home and they, they, they use those concepts. And then I also, I know like that's my maybe a little bit of Polish background. I was always kind of cheap on, you know, spending money on some <laughs> expensive stuff. I was trying to, okay, what can I create, which has nice effect, but it's cheap at the same time. Right. So that's, I didn't want to spend like, I don't know, $500 on some one type of background because I thought it's just ridiculous. And the funny thing, what was also happening that also is, is, is kind of, it, it's funny, I think, because. I started getting emails and then and all sorts of different kind of like people are approaching me and like, oh, we have this like company which makes this background. So why don't you, um, we will send you for free and you just kind of shoot it and then you can just share it on, on your channel or on your like Instagram. And then I look at their prices, like, you know, seven, $800 or like, you know, there's a lot of from actually from London, there's a couple of companies which approach me, but the, the prices were insane. I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I'm like, I wasn't sure. And I was, that's what I was trying to explain them. I'm, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to buy this because I'm showing them cheap stuff. And now all of a sudden I'm going to go to, let's say 800 pounds or for the background, like people are going to be upset with me. <laughs> I don't want to have nothing to do. And even though I think those backgrounds were amazing. But also at the same time, I was just kind of um, concerned that, you know, like those cheap backgrounds, you can use them once, you can throw them out, right? Technically you shouldn't, but you can very, very inexpensively kind of create something which creates some cool effect. And then you can just kind of do it over again. But if you buy, let's say, the super expensive background, like you're stuck with this for, for life, right? So that's, that's, that's the whole approach kind of started. And then the more, as I said, I was discovering those things, the more interesting stuff were coming out, right? And I'm still doing it. Now I think it's a little bit harder. I have a little bit less time, but I would love to dedicate a little bit more time into it because there, there, there's endless options. I think the first, there. the first video I ever saw of you was you were, you were making something out of tinfoil. Yes. <laughs> that was I'm, the biggest one. Yes. I know, look at it, I'm thinking, biggest. you know, it's one of these, like one of these little light bulb moments where you go, oh yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, I haven't yeah. thought of this. Ugh. And so, um, so that's really- but If I can just kind of uh, interrupt Go. you for a second, because this one took me like years to figure out. And I'll tell you why, because I was just putting this aluminum tinfoil like flat, right? Mm. And it was just like, you got this like hot spots. I'm like, this shit doesn't work. 
(laughs) And then one day, like my son, I think just start kind of like playing with this and just kind of crumble the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, let's try that. And there's like, boom, where you get this effect. It's like, shit, (laughs) no, it took me so much, you know, to kind of, it was like a little tiny thing which happened accidentally. And all of a sudden this whole thing works, right? I I had this idea on the back of my head that is going to reflect the light, but I didn't know how to approach it to make this nice and cool effect, right? And then accidentally this whole thing happened and, you know, the rest of this history. Like I, just to kind of, if I can add one more thing, I had guy from Baghdad, believe it or not, and he is like university and the guy is teaching photography. So he was showing student this technique, um, how to get this effect, which I just, my jaw just dropped. I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, this whole thing went across the world and people using it and trying it and they, they have fun with it, which is great. Well, it's it's amazing though. I love, I love it when something, you know, when a happy accident happens and then, you know, something really creative comes out of it as a result. Like, you know, I was talking to, about this like many times on this podcast, but I, I do a photo series called Three Ads in a Row. And mm-hmm. the whole concept of that was just a happy accident. It was, I was trying to take um, a profile picture for my website. Things went array. Everything went wrong. And I ended up with this this happy snapshot of mm-hmm. myself looking like a, like a deer in the headlights. And I looked at that and I thought, that's really funny. I wonder if yeah. we can shoot other people like that. And that's really how this whole thing started. So happy yeah. accidents, you know, this is the thing though. This is the thing. Sometimes when you push the envelope and you experiment, you know, things go wrong. And that, you know, that can be a beautiful thing because that can lead mm-hmm. you on to new creative endeavors. I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier about using really expensive backdrops. See, the problem that I have with that is that if you spend close to a grand on a hand-painted backdrop, which might be beautiful, you're going to have to use that backdrop time and time and time and time and time again. And it it will actually limit your creative output because everything you do is going to look pretty much the same. And unless you're creating a style for yourself, (laughs) that's fine. But it's really, you know, it's quite limiting. And, you know, I've, I mean, you know, the thing that has really always fascinated me about your headshots was, you know, how well these, these, well, first of all, how well these backdrops work, but also how different they are to everything else that I see out there. Um, you know, um, you mentioned the, the cinematic headshot earlier. Um, that was when I first saw, you know, some of his, uh, his shots, I thought, well, that's, that's phenomenal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, Backdrops are probably one of the most underrated aspects of fashion photography. You know, there's there's kind of stigma about it, in my opinion. And I think that there's certain kind of trends, because like most of the, how can how can say that? Like I got a lot of kind of like negative feedback that are like, oh, they're too busy. Yeah, they're just taking away. Uh, you know, the importance of the headshots, which is the face and face expression. I mean, people are like really kind of like try to nail me down with this and say, yeah, this is wrong. You shouldn't do that. This is stupid and whatever. And, and, you know, like from one hand, I get it. You know, sometimes I know those backgrounds are like extremely busy and, and they like really, really powerful. But just the fact for me that there are people commenting on it, I always say like, well, something kind of 
caught your eye that you stopped, you look at it, and then you just like, found the time to even write me this whole kind of essay about how bad they are. It's like just, <laughs> just crazy. <laughs> and you know, there's also clients for they, there's different clients with different needs, right? And I think because we're living in this digital era, you know, you cannot just limit yourself to some you know one type of you know kind of background and and because this is what everybody else is doing, right? And I, I kind of never take that seriously because, you know, for me, creating those different backgrounds was always fun, was always a process. And as you said a few minutes ago, that one idea always lead me to another idea, right? So I, I've done something and like, okay, I've done this, this is work. Okay, now I can maybe use this. So it's a process. It's it's something that is developing over the time. It's not like, you know, you just wake up one day and you're just like, oh, I have this cool idea for this background. Like this has never happened. It's always, first of all, trying things which don't work, you eliminating those and you kind of accidentally find something which kind of works. And then you try to kind of like take this to the next level and then try different things. And then, and then you just kind of taking this to the next level. So, you know, I think sometimes it's not the background itself, which kind of makes me super excited. It was just the process of discovering this because I was just feeling like I'm just going back to elementary school and you playing with like one shot I've done. It was kind of funny. So I took um, plastic bottles. I don't know if you've seen that image. And so I was just like <laughs> buying these bottles with, with, with water. And my wife's like, what the hell? Like, why are you <laughs> buying all this water? Like, this is crazy. I'm like, you know, no, this is just for the photo shoot. And I, and I needed about like 50 bottles or something to kind of make this background. <laughs> and I was just keep buying this water. Everyone was like, whoever was coming to my place, like, okay, drink this water because I need that bottle. Right. <laughs> so the process itself, I think coming up with this idea was the most fun. And then I think lot of those photographers out there they they kind of i don't know they just don't want to do it they have this let's say one background one set of lighting they stick to it they know how to do it it works but they never put themselves into kind of experiment mode where they're trying okay what i can do to make this different right and i think that's the most fun and i deeply believe that photographers should do that all the time and because that's what is, I think, the most exciting part about photography. This is where we interrupt our regularly scheduled programming for a new segment that we call What is Dave Up To Now? Where we follow Dave Williams and his latest adventures, Do North. Hi, Cameron Podcast. I'm with the Sammy with their reindeer. Oh, hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> There's nine reindeer in here with me. Uh, I'm in, I'm on the biggest island in Norway. <laughs> I've come to see the reindeer. Um, the weather was uh, crazy and the snow came. So I decided perfect conditions to make some new friends. So I've come here to shoot the reindeer. I've done it in 360. Um, I guess today's tip is about the snow. So when you're shooting in the snow, your camera's light meter is gonna see all this white, see all this white and it's gonna go, oh, that's really, really bright. And you're automatic metering is gonna be down probably about two stops. It's that strong. So when you're shooting in the snow, adjust your uh, exposure compensation to shoot over so that you don't have a really dark screen uh, and you expose a little bit high. One stop, maybe two. I guess that's today's tip. I'm gonna get on with feeding the reindeer. 
this one's um, very hungry. Very, very hungry. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, join the rest of my journey on Due North on YouTube. Find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Not really Twitter. But anyway, uh, as I, Dave Williams. Catch you next time. Angles in nature photography are really crucial. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots of different approaches. The traditional approach yes. of shooting from above, you know, for yes. example. Um, what's your, wh what is your sort of uh, giveaway advice when it comes to finding finding a good angle for your subject? Um, so headsets are kind of limited, right? But you, there's still some kind of rules which you have to kind of follow, right? Like you definitely want to create some some kind of flow to the image. And then that's the one thing. And the second thing is the body language, right? So I think what is beautiful about a headshot is the fact that every client is different. There's no kind of the same concept you can implement it into everything. Like you need to learn, you have to figure it out throughout the process, what works for this particular subject, right? So. So there's a couple of things what I want to point it out. First, um, try everything. Even if you kind of feel these things, they're not going to work and, you know, there's probability that this thing not, try it because that's something that it's extremely important to um, just test it out and see, you know, what kind of results you're going to get. Um, with the, the another thing, which is ex extremely important in my opinion is to you know, give yourself a little bit of time with the session because I've noticed a lot of photographers out there and I was at this, I, I kind of had the same approach at the beginning. I had, let's say, client for 20 minutes, you know, and then 20 minutes passed. Okay, this is it. That's it. You know, it's done. I think that shooting session is like a workout. And I, let me kind of like give you kind of brief um, explanation. So you need to warm up right before the, the going to the workout. Then you have to just kind of slowly try to kind of push yourself to get to the point that you just like getting the results, you're just really working hard and then you have the cool down. And I deeply believe the same applies to headshot photography or just like in general to the, to the portrait or headshot photography session. So the first step, you're warming up your client and you're warming up yourself. So you're just kind of trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. You have to try to put the client to the, the right mood. And then you you pass this, and usually it takes about 20 minutes. And then you're getting into this mode where you're just like working hard and you're seeing things, you're trying different stuff, and then and, and that's what you're getting the right shots. And then this is the cool down where you just like, you know, testing. Okay, this is gonna work, this, this might work, this is might not work but you just kind of slowly kind of phasing out, right? And then you can also notice for the client that oh, they're getting tired, they, 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 they're not producing what you're looking for. But the thing is that with some clients, you can do that within 30 minutes and sometimes you need two hours, right? So you have to also give yourself to that, give yourself a time to go through this entire process. And then sometimes I think, a lot of photographers, because they limit themselves with the time, they want to do everything within 20 minutes or five minutes or whatever, they, they pretty much unable to get the results because, you know, maybe they just done the warm up and they didn't get themselves and they also didn't get the client to the right mode to get the shots what they're looking for.
I hope that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's really my, that's, that's really, you know, the top bit of advice that I always give is, you know, you have to, you have to give your client time to, you know, get used to the process because nobody's, yes. nobody's used to this whole weird situation of having strobes firing at you and a big camera in your face and all the rest of it. You know, it, it does take time. And I, you know, I say this all the time, you know, I spend quite a lot of time, you know, make, you know, creating a connection with or connecting with the client to start with. And whether that's, you know, yes. over a cup of coffee or, you know, a chat, um, whatever it may be. That's also, incidentally, that's why I don't limit my sessions in time, actually. So, yes. Because I went through the same thing. I did 20, 20 minute sessions at one point and it was horrible. Yeah. But also what I want to point out clearly here that it works on both ends. It's not just the client who needs to warm up. We also need to okay. warm up too, right? We need to kind of get our eyes and our like mind into this specific zone where, you know, we can start creating. And that, that also takes time. I yeah. see that every time because it's just like if someone shows up and you just start taking photos, I, I think the best way to see it is like whenever you finish your session, try to kind of look at your images, you know, they progressively getting better, right? So it's not like you're just starting from the best shots. It's just like, okay, this is, doesn't work, that doesn't work, doesn't work. And you start kind of, your, your your brain started kind of registering, okay, this is not working. I have to start doing different things. And then you start kind of really seeing the progress, how the images are getting better and better, right? Exactly. And, you know, just to bring it back to, to angles, you know, getting to know your clients um, is super important because depending on what, you know, profession, your client has or you know or, or what um what status your client has within that profession that might actually you know change your idea of how you shoot how you shoot that client so for example if you have somebody who's in a leadership position like a ceo you know um for example you want to make them appear a little you know more powerful for example and that would naturally choose a slightly lower angle for that for example um you know, on the contrary, if if I shot somebody who's who has a sort of a customer facing sort of profession, mm -hmm. like you know, like a medical professional, for example, um, or you know, uh, mm -hmm. earliest teacher or something like that, yeah, um, I would probably choose a different angle just to make the you know to to make the the image look more uh, to make the client look more approachable and friendly and so on and so forth. So absolutely, by allowing yourself the time, that really it has two advantages. First of all, you get to know the client. And secondly, it gives you a chance to experiment a little bit and just, you know, just finding that right, that right path to get the results that, that you want. Um, otherwise, in my head, I always call it passport photos. Because in 20 mm -hmm. minutes, I can make, I can create really good passport photos. <laughs> but, but I very rarely get to the bottom of, you know, of, of, of a great headshot for that particular client. In that, in that limited time. Um, and of course, with that come great expressions. And that's the next thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, getting great expressions. I always feel that in order for me to be relaxed, I need to connect with the client. And, you know, you know that I'm relaxed, the client then feeds off of that. It's like a, it's like a circular type of thing. If yes. I'm relaxed, the client is relaxed. And if the client is relaxed, I'm even more relaxed. And so it goes round and round until everybody's chilled out. This whole thing is called mirroring. I don't know if you've, you've heard that term. Yeah. If you're pissed and you, you, you might not even kind of, I don't know, 
you're not trying to showcase that you're pissed, pissed yeah. but let's say you are because you had a bad day, something happened in the morning, some other client pisses you off, whatever. Your face apparently is exposing that anger and people kind of catch that and they mirroring the same thing. And I've, I, I think I've even done a podcast about it that, you know, sometimes I had those sessions where I was like upset about something or I had some issues and my client looks exactly the same, it, which was kind of fascinating. So, yeah, so that's something that we have to be extremely careful. Um, and it's not easy, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a difficult process to kind of leave all your issues, you know, kind of behind or just leave them out of the door. Uh, but we have to remember about that, right? Um, and yeah, we can, yeah, sorry, I kind of interrupt you in the middle, but um, yeah, we can discuss the phase expression because this is something which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so let me start with, I deeply believe that phase expressions are the most important element of the headshot photography because that's what tells the story. That's what makes the image special. That's what connect the viewer with the image. So we have to kind of uh, make sure that we're going to get the right face expressions, which are going to benefit the client. Um, I think the first thing what I want to also say is that we need to kind of separate the technicality and, you know, the posing and the face expression, because I've noticed that a lot of, yeah, and I was the same at the beginning that we, we focus way too much on the technical part. Like, oh, we want to make sure that the lighting is right. We want to make sure that the exposure is right. We want to make sure that, you know, the image is sharp, that this all technical stuff. But I think when it comes to the headshot session, like it's just a certain time where you have to worry about it. And then when you figure this whole thing out, you just literally stop thinking about it and you're trying to connect with your client and you're trying to start working on those space expressions. And clients still sense that because if you kind of, your mind is not connected with them and you're not connected with your, with your subject, you know, they're going to just drift away and they're going to just do their own thing. And you're going to have completely, you will completely lost control over what kind of face expressions you're getting. Right. So figure it out first, all the settings, everything, and then just, just keep shooting and just focusing on the client. I think the connection with the client is extremely important discussion throughout a photo shoot. You have to constantly be engaged with your client and your subject throughout a session. You have to learn how to navigate the session towards topics which put specific face expressions on your subject face, right? So let's say if your client comes in and start telling you about the divorce they had a few months ago, you completely cut it off and you just like, okay, you know what? It's not you saying you're not going to talk about it, but Let's talk about something more pleasant and something which is going to put the smile on your face, not the anger on your face. So you have to be aware which direction you navigate the conversation. That's that's extremely um, interesting, uh, important. The next thing which also I found, which a lot of photographers also have it really difficulties, is the fact that, um, and again, what I want to say is I love Peter Hurley. Like, I think he's a fantastic photographer. Like he put headshots on, on the table and, and then he really on the map, sorry. And he really take this whole thing to completely different level. But I thought the one thing which I kind of, I don't want to say don't agree with him, but he's trying to teach how to act like him. 
And that's something which is extremely, I think, I don't want to say misleading, but it can put some photographers in a really difficult spot. Because if you are introvert, like I am, I cannot act like him. I cannot joke like him. I cannot use the same joke and make them as funny as when he does them, right? So you have to also learn who you are and then what approach you can take to kind of make this work for you, right? So so that's something which also for me was extremely challenging because again, I was trying to pretend that I'm somebody else and I was trying to throw these jokes, which, you know, and then I, I had to, I'll tell you a story actually, which happened to me. So I had this really important headshot session with like some big CEO, um, extremely huge company. The guy makes billions of dollars, whatever, like really wealthy. And they gave me like five minutes to do the shoot. And they was so tight that they asked me to come in one hour before the shoot to set everything up. And they said, as soon as he's, I will be ready. They will bring him in, in. I'll have five minutes to work with him and he's out because he's for the next meeting. And I'm like, okay. And so he, I set it up, everything was ready. He came in, I started shooting and I started kind of throwing some of the jokes, which I've learned from the person I mentioned. And the guy got so angry, he just left the shoot. He's like, I'm done. Okay, thank you very much. And it's like, holy shit. And I, and I knew I, I was going into this really dangerous territory which I'm not comfortable with and I know I sound like an idiot and I know the shit what I said was just stupid was unnecessary and just didn't work for that particular session that was just completely out of touch and then it was just the dumbest move I've done and that was the moment where I was like you know what I gotta figure out not only find different ways to to connect with my clients but also find a way which it's it's kind of fits me who I am you know what kind of personality I I have right and then kind of start there and then try to find those ways right so so that's why I think I want to point this out because again every session is different every client is different you will have to use different tricks and different techniques to bring those face expressions differently from each individual um, I think you have to also learn a little bit of psychology that, you know, sometimes people come in with their own issues, right? And they don't have a good day and they, they, they come in because they have to. Um, so there's, there's a lot of those factors, which you have to figure it out on the spot and learn how to deal with them. Right. But the, the most important thing, what I, what I want to point out when it comes to the face expression and, and when you are a headshot photographer, you have to learn how to connect with your subject, how you can really get into their world and kind of navigate it the way that, you know, you can bring those interesting face expression. Uh, it's, I mean, I always equate it to acting skills. You know, I always put my, my sort of acting face on when, you know, when uh, a client comes in, I try to work out where they at on that particular day when in that particular moment. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to basically bring them to the, the, the place where I want them to be in a sense, you know, which is kind of chilled out, relaxed and happy, <laughs> you know, usually. Yes. I've learned this, you know, um, I've learned this from teaching, actually. I used to teach um, primary school kids. Mm -hmm. I used to teach the guitar. 
in or music classes in primary school. And I had, when I first started doing that, I had zero experience with kids of that age. I never had mm -hmm. younger brothers. I didn't have any children of my own um, at the time. I, I had zero connection with, you know, year three or year four students. Zero. And, um, and the first year was an absolute disaster because I mm -hmm. thought, you know, I thought, oh, I'll be their friend, you know. Mm -hmm. Didn't work out at all. Um, they were running riot and I could not control them whatsoever. Um, it was a total absolute disaster. It's really stressful for me as well because it was stressing me out because I'm thinking I'm not getting anywhere. You know, these kids, mm -hmm. they don't listen. They're not listening to me. Of course, of course they're not listening to me because I'm not their friend. You know, I'm a 30 something year old man that's <laughs> trying to be like a, a six year old kid. It's never going to work, you know? So, um, and then the following year I thought, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to be super strict. That also failed miserably because none of the kids took me seriously. There's me, the ponytailed guitar dude pretending to be a strict teacher. No chance. And it took me a good few years to to really get to that point where I was confident and happy within myself and grounded. And and as soon as I was relaxed and grounded, everything changed in the classroom. Everything changed. The kids' mm -hmm. behavior changed. Their attitude changed. Uh, we really made progress. You know, learning was brilliant. Um, and it just, you know, it taught me one very important fact, and that is, it's, you know, it always starts with yourself. If you're in that place where you're relaxed and centered, um, then that's the energy that you want to basically, you know, beam onto your client in mm -hmm. a sense. And then, you know, then you've got things un under control and, you know, that's, that's a good start for, uh, for a headshot session. Doesn't always work. Clearly, yes. you know, sometimes you've got clients walking through the door, but it's nothing you could have possibly done <laughs> to get yeah. them to relax. They're just, you know, it's just not going to happen. But, you know, we've gotta, we, we have to have these but that's experiences. A learning, that's a learning process too, right? You know, if you have those really challenging clients, mm -hmm. I, and I have those, um, you know, actually a few weeks ago, I was shooting um, a kid who has, um, uh, what it's called? He, he, um, there's, there's this disease, which he cannot, it's not age, the, um, he was autistic. Oh, there yeah, you okay. go. And, you know, you couldn't touch him. You couldn't get anything close to him. Um, you had to just move the lights away from him. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't focus for more than one second. And, you know, when I started shooting, I was just like, holy smokes, I gotta be like, hell of a ride but then you know like you you're trying to figure out how i can make this work you know how i can kind of get his attention for a little bit longer how you can pull out those face expressions how you can interact with him to 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 get him into this specific kind of mental state and you know i, I at the end i was just like getting the stuff what i was looking for and and and, and his mom told me like wow i was just amazed to watch you to kind of you know figure things out along the way, how you can get him involved in this whole thing, right? And the, the, was, the first of all, it was an amazing experience, but the second thing, the second thing what I want to point it out, like I, I think the more challenging clients we have, the more we learn, because then you just like, you're trying to find solutions, right? And exactly. you're trying to make things work. And I think those experiences are priceless. And it allows, us, it, it allows us to grow, you know, that's, yes. that's the important part. Right, so let's talk about dress 
Okay. So when it comes to headshot sessions, um, it's an interesting thing because people often think, well, we're just focusing on the head. So clearly, you know, uh, whatever um, the client wears is not really that important. But personally, I think nothing could be further from the truth. That's correct. So first of all, I think there's there's few important elements to, to, to mention. Um, just because something looks good on someone doesn't mean it's going to work when it comes to, you know, shooting that particular outfit, right? I, I've been in other situations countless times where, you know, everyone like, you know, when you look at the person, oh, wow, that looks great. And then I started like shooting and said like, shit, it doesn't work. So, so that's also, I've learned over the years, I don't put limits on the wardrobe when it comes to my sessions. I ask my clients to bring whatever the hell they want. Um, the more outfit, it's better because there's always something which we can kind of incorporate it or we can change or, 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 or switch or, and then find things which they're going to work. So that's the first uh, important element. Um, there's few rules which, you know, like the, the problem I think with the, like in general, when it comes to photography, uh, there's no clear rules for anything. You know, they can tell you like, oh, don't bring, for example, uh, clothing which have like really uh, strong patterns and colors, but sometimes it, it, it works, right? So you might, for this particular client, this wardrobe is, works great because bring some, I don't know, personality, can bring some vibe to the image, can make the person feels better and they start producing better face expressions. So it, the one thing what I want to say when it comes to the clothing, it's, it's a little a bit um, lottery and, you know, try to use whatever you have in, in your possession to make things work, but also don't limit yourself to saying like, oh, this is not going to work, you know, or you just automatically assume this, this, this particular outfit or whatever, you know, the client brings is that it's not going to work. Try it because, you know, in photography, you might run into a lot of surprises and unexpected things, which might for some reason, make the image work, right? So that's why I think the one tip, don't limit your clients with clothing. Just just ask them to bring whatever they, they have, whatever they like. Also, sometimes I pull out actually clothing from my clients just to see what works. Actually, I'm doing this after we're going to have this, this podcast. I'm going to, let's say, consignment place where I'm going to pulling out some clothing from my session, which I have tomorrow. So play with it, see what works, use colors. I like, you know, experimenting with, with clients and see what are we going to get. The worst thing, you know, you're not going to like the image or it's not going to work, but sometimes you, you might be surprised and then you might get some unexpected, you know, things that like, oh, wow, I, I thought this is not going to work, but it's actually working and it just brings something really special to the image. And often the, the color of the top might actually inform the color of the background you might you might want to use uh -huh. because um, you know it might just you know somebody I don't know let's say for argument's sake somebody turns up with a with a really bright yellow um, top you might mm -hmm. go oh actually I'm going to shoot that against a blue background because that's going to look great and that might inform you know the way you gel the the backdrop for example. Yeah, yeah but funny. you can go completely opposite way you and could. have like say yellow outfit and the yellow background to just kind of complement the background. So again, there's no rules, right? Exactly. Um, depends which direction you want to go, right? Um, but as I said, testing and trying things is the best way to figure out what works, what doesn't. 
And a lot of photographers, as you said, they just simply assume that, oh, you know, this is not going to work. This is it. And, you know, let's do this standard look and don't push it. Don't push the boundaries. Don't break the rules. You know, I think that's the, that's the mistake. So another thing I know um, that comes up um, now and again when it comes to headshot sessions is makeup and, and mm-hmm. grooming. You don't know, you know, obviously I know um, a lot of photographers who work with makeup artists um, and likewise I also know a lot of people who let the client do their own makeup. So that's, I'd say 90% of all cases, that's that's exactly how I work since I, I shoot mm-hmm. from my home, you know, yes. like a home studio if you want. Um, and it's it's often easier to um, to let clients do their own makeup. But what was your take on makeup? So, so um, yeah, so we could have a long discussion when it comes to the makeup. So let's kind of break this down. First of all, I deeply believe that makeup is necessary for all your headshot sessions, especially for females. This is something which, you know, you should implement into um, your sessions. So having said that, um, professional makeup is definitely takes because if someone does makeup for themselves, they don't know how, what type of makeup you're looking for as a photographer, right? And also the same one when we talk about a clothing, just because someone does the makeup themselves, we don't know if it's going to work, how it's going to photograph. So having someone on site who knows what works, it's always kind of beneficial, right? Um, but Makeup artists are like photographers. You might get some really good ones. You might get some really bad ones. Um, if you get a good ones, it's going to benefit you. If you're going to get bad one, it's going to just take your photography to like, you know, to, to the level where you don't want to even look at those images. So finding someone who can really deliver high quality makeup, it's the key. But so I found with the head, with the makeup artist, you also have, if you really want to have a someone who also is interested to learn, right? So you teaching them about the lighting, what works, what doesn't work, but also you also have to have a makeup artist who is listening to the client who, you know, there's some people who let's say don't wear makeup on the daily basis. This is something new. This is new experience for them. There is some people who, you know, let, let's say they, they were really heavy makeup and they, the makeup artist will do like a light one, right? So it's not, it's not going to fit them. So you have to have like really skilled person, not only with the makeup, but also how to make the client happy. And then, then they're going to provide the service, which, you know, going to take your photography to the next level. But at the same time, um, you know, it's going to make the client happy with the service, right? Because I've, I've, I, I had situations where, you know, the, the client never wear the makeup, the makeup, artists went completely bonkers and started like putting so much crap on the person that, you know, the person even look like that they look on the daily basis. Right. And they're like upset. This is not me. Like I, I never wear that. I had such a heavy makeup. So, so there's, there's a lot of, lot of things which you have to look at, but at the same time, the makeup are, the makeup can really elevate your headshots, the completely different level. Not to mention that if the makeup is properly done and it's, 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 you know, something that really kind of like it's, 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 it's well done, going to save you a lot of time in post-production, right? So you don't have to deal with all those, like, you know, discolorations of the skin or some, you know, other stuff. So also save you time for the long run because you don't have to spend 
two hours retouching image, you can do it in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever, right? So it's huge, I mean, especially, you know, not, I mean, not only for, uh, for female clients, but also for med clients, you know, um, yeah. being able to use powder, for example, um, to avoid lots of specular highlights um, or shiny yes. skin. That's a huge time saver when it comes to Huge, huge, absolutely. So yeah, um, it's it's important, and I think you know it takes a little bit of time to find the right person. So test whoever you can, and you know allow different makeup artists to come into the shoots and then test them and see you know what results you're getting. Um, and also, I know this is a little bit of kind of um, we're pushing this to the next level, but also I, I I sometimes invite makeup artists for creative sessions where they really kind of go crazy and then they do some interesting stuff just to kind of give them a kind of freedom to 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 learn, right? Uh, yeah, so so yeah, we could we could spend hours discussing yeah, this, absolutely. But, but yeah, the point is, especially for let's say if you are into could say corporate. Um, headshot industry and you do a lot of a lot of those corporate sessions yeah the makeup artist is is crucial because save your time it like makes the client feel better feel better looks better plus save you a lot of time in, in post-production so you have to have it right and then i think i've done a couple of posts where you can see even young people without makeup and with the makeup it's just day and night there's no question. So a good idea if you're starting out, for instance, is just to acquaint yourself with, you know, with uh, potential makeup artists in your area. There's a number of different ways that you can go about that. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, contact people and get to know people. Um, and and uh, that way you can potentially build up a relationship with, Absolutely. with a number of different people. It's always good, in my experience, it was good to have a number of names on a list because if you've yes. got a shop, uh, shoot booked and, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to arrange a makeup artist so that that the first person on the list might be might be booked out already. You might have to go, you know, a few days yes. down the list until you find somebody who's available. That's a really good way. And also have people who are reliable, right? So if they're not gonna lay, I'm, I will come for the shoot, and they're not gonna show up. And then you have paid shoot. The client yeah. is waiting, and they let's say some big CEO or some person who, you know, it, it, it's it's yeah. That's you know like having the team which you can trust you they're reliable they always show up they do the, the proper work it's it's not easy to find to be honest in this industry but as soon as you find it you know it's going to take your business to a completely different level absolutely now i know i know quite a few people uh, listening to this or, or watching this on youtube uh what be interested in the the sort of the slightly more technical aspects of of edge photography so let's let's talk lenses for a minute um, what's your go-to lens uh -huh. for your headshots? So, so, so when it comes to the headshots, it's pretty standard, and it's I don't think it's anything complicated. So you can use either zoom lens or you can use fixed lens. So when it comes to the zoom lens, I'm going to be uh, the one which I'm using is 7200 Nikon VR2, uh, and this. The fixed lens, what I would recommend would be something around 135 millimeters. That's those two. And I'm typically shooting between 135 up to 200 millimeters. That's that's my focal focal point. And that's it. I yeah, it's 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 there's no any kind of guy. The one thing what I want to point out, you cannot really shoot, let's say, 20 mil or wide angles. Like, you know, I, I get this question quite often, like, oh, can I shoot headshots like yours? With twenty mil, you can't. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, that's a really good point. Um, 
so you know typically we always say you know uh, you don't want to use a very wide lens because it just distorts the face yes. to a degree where it looks comical that is of course unless you want it to be distorted like that and so for, yes. for anybody listening you know do me a flavor and, uh, and check out my photo series three heads in a row um, where the whole point is to distort people's faces like that and I, I typically shoot that um, anywhere between 24 and 30 roughly mm-hmm. 24 28 Okay. 24, 28. But but the point in this photo series is to to create an image that's kind of comical and cartoonish. Yes. You know, and so, you know, in this particular uh, instance, it works really well, but it gives you a really good impression as to what that actually looks like. And in a standard headshot, that's exactly not what you want. So you need to shoot uh-huh. a lot longer. I've got, you know, my new favorite, and I used to shoot um, a lot with 72 to 200, um, mm-hmm. somewhere in the 160 to 200 range. You know, um, but I've really fallen in love with the eighty-five. Okay. Um, well, it's a it's a great uh, portrait um, uh, lens, right? Um, you still, if you have to, you can still pull it off, right? But the reason I'm using this really um, long lenses is the fact that I really want to compress the background to just kind of create those interesting patterns. Um, this interesting bokeh, and that's why I'm using okay. that length, right? So, so that's that's the main thing. But um, again, if you want to create kind of your own specific style, I don't think there's anything wrong with using 85. Um, you still are able to pull, pull it off um, some some great headshots with with that type of lenses. So again, I'm just sharing what I'm using, but I deeply believe if if you let's say want to go different path. There is no like, oh, you can't do that. I I never say that. Yeah. If, you, if it works for you, your clients love it. That's all what it's matter. Exactly. And that, there are lots of different options. You know, it's well, yes. it's well worth, uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to try out different things. I've seen Joel Grimes um, shoot portraits uh, with a 24 to 70. Okay. You know, in a fairly wide range. And, and those headshots, well, other headshots. Portraits. Portraits. Yeah. Three quarter. Yeah. Well, maybe somewhere like that. Uh, but they look great. They they don't look like corporate headshots. They still look like great portraits. So, so yes. it just depends on um, what kind of look you're going for. I actually tried that with musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was putting together uh, some headshot portfolios for uh, some some local artists, and they uh, really liked that look. So, as mm-hmm. far as their pro- their specific portfolio was concerned, as you know, as one other option within a portfolio, uh-huh. it worked really well. So, yeah. it's worthwhile experimenting sometimes with different focal lengths. Absolutely. And you know what? Again, um, I, I want to say that there's no rules because I know sometimes people say like, oh, this is how you have to do things. I, I, I think it's nonsense. You know, if if you're creating something which has this, I don't know, distinctive look or, you know, and the client loves it, you loves it, that's all what it's matter, you know? Exactly. So, but experimenting too, maybe you know this is something which you, you discover something unique, right? You you you're able to create something which is going to stand out and be unique and, and interesting. And that's I think ph- photography is all about. Like, don't get stuck with rules because that's just kind of destructive. I think exactly. And if you if you happen to have a seventy to two hundred, that's such a versatile lens. It's yes. fantastic, not only for edge photography, but for all sorts of other things. But it's a great lens to use for that, of course. Right. Let's, Absolutely. Let's talk about poses or posing. Okay. So posing. Um, so headsets are kind of limited, right? So so there's few things which I want to point it out here. Uh, when it comes to the posing, you want to make the person look engaging, 
with with the camera, right? So that's the kind of the main thing. And the best way to do that, and I'm going to give you like a like example, and that's all always what I tell to my clients. You know, if you talk to someone and someone is kind of like leaning back, means they don't want to have nothing to do with you. They they want to be out of the conversation, right? When someone is leaning towards to you, means they're interested. They want to engage. They want to talk to you. They want to listen. And I, I think also that applies to headshots. If someone is leaning forward, it's kind of like, you know, want to be engaged with you, it's sending the message to the viewer that the person is kind of involved in this kind of connection, right? If you don't have that, then, you know, like you might read the image completely different way, right? So that's something which I found, especially for the corporate headshots or just in headshots in general, like you wanted this person to be engaged with the camera, with you, so whoever's going to be looking at the image is going to get that feeling, right? So, 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 so that's the kind of message you want to sh- send with with the posing, and that's and then you can start kind of building around that, right? You can just try different angles, you can try different things, but in general, I want to make sure that my posing is engaging with the camera. So as the image comes out, even if you don't see this whole thing, you still kind of get this feeling from the from the image that the person is involved in this whole thing. That's a really that's a really important point because although we're only really seeing the head and maybe the you know the top part of the of the torso, the top of the chest and the shoulders maybe in the headshot. For me posing always starts with the feet. And so mm-hmm. when I when I pose uh, my subjects, I really always start with the stance and the way they stand, you know, um, mm-hmm. And and I basically move up from there, you know, I move up yes. from the from the feet up through the through the hips, yes, until I get to the up the arms, you know, hands, upper body. Hand, your hand positions are actually really important. We never see them in a headshot, but wherever somebody's well, you do sometimes. I sometimes incorporate, but the hands are right. tricky because right. after the face, hands send the, the 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 a lot of messages, right? So if you have someone who's got like fist. And they might smiling. You're still gonna get this mixed up feeling that the person is angry, right? Okay. If the hand is relaxed or is like really loose, means the person is relaxed. So the hands kind of. I think it's tricky when it comes to headshots, and I know most people say like, "Oh, you can't have hands." Sometimes you can. I deeply believe that it's it's the case, but you have to be extremely careful, and you cannot really send the wrong message to the viewer that the hands send the wrong signal, right? So. What I want to say, it it's relaxed. It's kind of you know you putting the hands that they look delicate, so you never show the palm. You always show the edge of the hand, never kind of tight and tense because that's again sending the wrong message. Um, and then you can play with it and see you know what kind of results you're gonna get. I I think I've posted a bunch of different images with the hands, and then again I got scrutinized by this, but I don't care. <laughs> sometimes yeah, sometimes it's it's great to be individual. You know, it's worth, it's absolutely worth trying. I remember uh, one of the one of my very first headshot sessions that I ever did. Um, there were a lot of hands involved, and I look at those images now, and I and I think oh, they were so. I mean, actually, to pat, so you give me a pat on my own shoulder, they were so well lit. Mm-hmm. But those damn hands. I should, yeah. have, I should have never let her do that. Damn it. Anyway, that was a fail. But well, you tried it, right? Yeah, I, tried I it think exactly. that you've learned something, but I think the hands, I don't think the hands were the problem. I think that the, what the problem was, and this is what I said, 
is what kind of message those hands right. sent to the viewer. Try to analyze that and then you will see, you know what? Maybe they're too tense. Maybe the person was like, you know, holding or whatever. Then then you just like, you know, you can get the f different vibe from the image. Absolutely. And it was also, you know, of course now in retrospect, this is years and years ago, but it was also, of course, a lack on my behalf, um, a lack of the ability to control the session. You know, mm -hmm. because I think it was the it was the model actually who suggested hands, mm -hmm. and I think I I wasn't in a position at the time to control the situation. They basically say, "Well, no, that's not that's not what we're doing," or or just to basically give her enough guidance so that I got the shots that I wanted to get at the time. And of course, uh -huh. that's really just something that comes with experience. Clearly, I mean, this was actually I, I that... seem to remember this was probably it's if it wasn't the very first hedge session I did, it was one of the yeah. very first ones. Um, and you learn a lot just by learning. It's all about learning. Yeah. Learn, shoot, repeat. No, shoot, learn, yes. repeat. Whichever way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Works either way. All right. So, tripod or handheld? Um, that's, I would say, just personal. Um, both works. I like to have handheld because I have a little more control and I can try different angles. I can move a little bit more freely. But, if you feel that you know the 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 tripod gives you some kind of stability and control, go for tripod. So it's entirely based on. I don't think either or is is wrong. Um, and and then this again, I think it's it's personal. Everyone has different approach, but yeah, I I, I believe that when it comes to my sessions, I I like to have like a little bit more control over like you know holding the camera and move a little bit more. And I like to move. I, I, I definitely like to move because in headshots, it's all about those little tiny, you know, changes and details, which makes huge impact on the final image, right? And I think with the tripod, like you a little bit limited in my opinion, but again, when you kind of holding the camera, especially those, you know, if you have a heavy lens and you have a, you know, heavy body, then it's just, just, makes you tired right and then you just might kind of like i don't know start losing control over what's happening but there's certainly advantages and disadvantages with both handheld yes. and you know and and the tripod approach i'll tell you what i like about the tripod uh, and i do switch back and forth uh, in a typical uh -huh. session depending on what kind of vibe or style i'm shooting um, or look i'm shooting but um i do like the tripod sometimes and that's mainly because i can move away from being behind the lens and so when I'm mm -hmm. when I'm shooting a client, um, it's it's easier for me to communicate with the client when my face isn't hidden by the camera. If that makes okay. sense, and that does really work. The only problem with that is, is that quite naturally and instinctively, your client will then basically start looking at you rather than the lens. And so that's the only thing. Uh, the, you know, there'll be like constant reminders to to keep looking at mm -hmm. the lens. But in terms of again, especially at the beginning of the session. Um, I find it it really helps me to connect with the client when I'm not constantly hidden, you know, when my face isn't hidden behind the lens. So that's that's why I like the the tripod. Um, and so later on in the session, I tend to then shoot handhelds, especially when I, um, I have a white wall and I like to do some shots against mm -hmm. that wall, for example, um, and create some shadows. And then it's mm -hmm. actually easier for me to uh, to handheld. Uh, but by that time. Every, everything's cool, everybody's relaxed, and you know, things 
normally by that by that point roll relatively smoothly. So so it's actually not so much of a problem. But I find I find using a tripod in the beginning um, quite useful. But the other thing I do, and this this kind of brings us back a little bit to lenses, is I actually start out pretty much every session. I start out with a seventy to two hundred. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because there's more distance between me and the subject. Mm-hmm. And when I first get used to, or when when the subject first gets used to, or the client gets used to this situation, um, and the surroundings and everything, um, it's you know it makes sense to to have a little bit more distance. Later on, once we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, and we've built up some rapport, and you know there's there's some energy, I then switch to the eighty five, which basically brings me closer mm-hmm. to the client. And but then the rapport's already there, and it's not as weird. Yeah, if that makes sense. So. And again, you know, with the seventy to two hundred, I love the tripod with that. <laughs> it's too yeah. heavy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's 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 heavy, so it takes a little bit of, I would say, um, effort, especially if you're shooting for, let's say, you know, a couple hours or something. Your yeah. hands getting tired for sure. Absolutely. Um, now we've we've talked about everything from posing to, um, you know, to lighting, um, to clothing, to makeup, and everything else. Um, so we've, I think, we've covered the actual process. The shoot itself, mm-hmm. um, but when it comes to headshot photography, of course, the whole retouching side of the post production side is is super important. What's your approach to that? Um, yeah, we could spend hours. When it comes to post production, I think it's a it's a really crucial element. Like I think every element is important, right? So I don't want to kind of say, oh, you know, posing is more important than retouching or you know, like lighting. It's it's I think it's equally important. Every element you have to master it to make sure that you know you're getting the great results. I deeply believe that retouching is like a putting the sherry on the on the on the you know birthday cake it's like the final touch which can really define your style can really polish the image to the level which looks like a professional shot right and the problem with that is that it takes a lot of time to figure it out right and learn that it's 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 a skill which which you have to kind of practice over and over and over again. I think a lot of people getting impatience because they have to repeat the same thing over and over again. But that's the only way. It's like running, right? You cannot do a million different things. You have to just keep running the same thing over and over again until you get the results. And I think that your eyes are like muscles, right? Like the more you practice, the more you train them, the better they get. You start seeing differently. You start picking up details, you start seeing things from completely different angles, you start kind of picking up things which you never seen before, you really seeing those tiny details which you never pay attention to before. And also that makes you a better photographer because if you see, let's say, some string of the hair, you know, going across the face, you fix that during the photo shoot, right? Because you know you're going to spend hours or whatever fixing that, right? So I think that it's a part of headshots. It's important element and you have to master it, right? Because that's what I don't really believe. And I know this is again, my opinion, but I don't believe in sending images to some outsourced place, which you're retouching your, your, your shots. Um, because you just kind of giving permission to really influence your images and someone is putting their own style to it. I, I, I'm against it. I deeply believe that. But again, that is my approach. I, I like to own it, everything from the beginning to the end. 
And I used to set out images for retouching and I hated it because, you know, sometimes they came okay, sometimes they didn't came the way I wanted. There's a conflict and then, you know, there's all, all, all sorts of things which I, I wasn't happy with. So I said at some point, I got to learn this. And it took me years and years. Um, I got to the point where I was retouching two, three images a day. It doesn't matter. I like it. I didn't like it. Whatever results I was getting, I was doing it just to kind of, you know, push it, push myself through this process to, 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 to learn this whole thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that, as I said, like, and I'm not going to repeating myself, but it's something that everyone should learn. And I don't really believe into those kind of, oh, I wanted my, my images, you know, coming out great straight from the camera. Like, it's just all nonsense. We're living, you know, if, if in the era where, you know, there's no kind of shortcut, there's no way around it. You have to learn this, right? Um, and I think, yeah, a lot of photographers kind of, I don't know, it's a, it's a laziness. I don't know, maybe that's a too strong, but it's not easy process to learn, right? It's, you know, when it comes to other elements like lighting settings, you, you can really easily figure it out, but retouching is something that it takes time to, 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 to learn. And then that's what a lot of photographers getting frustrated because they want to learn things quickly. And then that unfortunately in, in that process, it, it takes time. Like it's, you know, you would go to the gym and start kind of, I don't know, lifting 200 kilo, 200 kilograms, whatever, right. It's, 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 it can do it right. You got to get there. Right. So, so that's why I think it's, 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 it's frustrating, but it's, it's important, right. Absolutely, it's it's one of those things um, that I I find it very satisfying to retouch my own images. Um, I actually really enjoy the process. And that's just me. Mm -hmm. I know other people may not, but um, personally, I just to me, I almost look forward to the retouching process. Yes, and it's it's always yeah. it's like you know and I've, again I've, I've mentioned this many times on this on this uh, podcast you know to me it's it's a little bit like the relationship um between an electric guitar and an amplifier you know an electric guitar on its own doesn't make a lot of sound it's very quiet it doesn't sound like the way we imagine an electric guitar to sound an amplifier on its own is just a dead box it's inanimate it doesn't make a sound you pluck the you put the two together it sounds amazing I think that's a great yeah. analogy I think that's that's the way it works you know and to me when I shoot and this, this is really i mean it's true for headshots but it's actually true for any photo shoot that i do um i typically shoot for the edit because i know already mm -hmm. what i'm going to do in post-production so i know what i need to get right in camera so this is like the the age-old argument that you get um from from photographers very often it's like, oh, i want to get it right in camera and i always say yeah me too i do want to get it right in camera too i need to get it right i need to get it right for the edit because i already know what the second stage is going to look like that's why I need to get it right in in camera as well. Granted, there are opportunities to fix things if they go wrong, but yeah. the, you know, to me, um, it's it's a sort of it's a time and effort type of a thing. You know, if mm -hmm. if I can get something right in camera, it might take me two seconds to get a, to change something or to get it right in camera, but it might take me five minutes to fix that in 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 Photoshop. Exactly. Yeah, it can be done, but it's my time on the clock. So, yes. you know, if I can straighten somebody's tie out, you know, right mm -hmm. there and then, so I don't have to do it in Photoshop, I win because I can watch more on Netflix. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> afterwards, so, you know. So we've gone through 10 tips. Uh, we've covered everything uh, from, you know, from, like I said, from, height to, from uh, lighting to, to backgrounds to angles, um, expressions, wardrobe, and so on and so forth. Now, if you are still listening at this point, then I'm guessing you're probably quite serious about about headshots. And if you are wondering how you can get yourself a headshot client, let's talk for the for the last bit of this uh, of this podcast episode. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. How do you get your first headshots clients? Like, what what can you do? So. Yeah, so you know, I think at the beginning, if you're starting off and then you know you got the equipment, you have some basic knowledge, and then you want to get into this industry. So I think the best way is to start with you know people who are in your circle, your family, your friends, um, neighbors, you name it. Whoever is willing to work with you, whoever knows you. Um, so that would be the first step. Yeah, warm bodies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just whoever is available, whoever is willing to work with you, just bring them and just start taking photos, right? That's that's the best way. Um, and then when you start building your portfolio, then you can start kind of reaching out to some, you know, potential clients. I, I deeply believe that um, that's, that's another which... This is another thing which I think is frustrating because people with the photography is a little bit different... I would say path to be successful and to get clients. Like you have to build something before you start getting clients. It's not like, you know, you have a, you have a product, but you still need to kind of, you have to do some branding. You have to start, you know, going into those places, which, you know, they're interested to, to hire you. So I think you have to start with the strong portfolio. You need to start kind of keep updating it. You have to keep, make it, you know, presentable and then just don't go for quantity, go for quality. Show three images, which are good instead 20, which are like average. And that's something which, you know, it's just your business card going into this world and try to, you know, get the clients. Um, Another thing when I want to kind of point it out, which also helped me, start doing some creative sessions where you're doing something different, something unique. Um, that's what you're going to get at attention. If you're going to start, I don't know, like doing just, I would say, um, business headshots where everybody else is doing, your chances to get the clients, it's, 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 it's fairly small because you're doing what everybody else is doing. So start doing something which is different. Um, that would be another thing. Share stuff on social media. Don't kind of hesitate like, oh, I don't think people are going to like it or I don't know if people accept it or, you know, if you're going to get some negative comments, you're going to go, I'm going to take it down. Like, just screw it. Just keep producing, keep showcasing and keep sharing what you do. And then, you know, people eventually will start coming towards to you and, and hiring you for for this type of work. But you have to give yourself time. You know, those things don't come over a weekend or a week or month. You have to give yourself at least a year till you start to really kind of getting, you know, those clients. Also, you have to be sure what you're doing, right? Because you don't want to start getting clients and you're just not sure about the lighting. You're not sure about the settings. You're guessing things. 
you have to have some kind of knowledge which allows you to repeat this process with you know different clients in different environment in different locations and then stuff like that um so that's why i said you know work for free at the beginning i know this free thing is becoming this like negative kind of i don't know approach and people are like oh i'm never going to do stuff for free but doing things for free it's it gives you this disconnection from financial obligation because if clients pays you they have expectations if they have expectations you have to deliver if you don't deliver you're screwed and then if the bad kind of um feedback goes that you're doing taking money and you, you're doing shitty job you're not going to get the clients and if you're doing stuff for free if it's not going to go let's say the way you want it you still might say hey you know what didn't work whatever and then the clients or the person is not going to be as upset because they didn't invest maybe just a little bit of time yeah. so, also if you're doing this with the family they're also not going to kind of badmouth you at the front of everybody else right so i think the starting the starting point is extremely important but as i said give yourself time work with as many people as you can and then start slowly very slowly getting into this whole thing right um but as i said you got to you have to figure out the technical part first you have to be confident about what you're doing, and then you can start slowly selling your product. Exactly, and if you've you know if you've never shot headshots before, just by you know listening to this you know to the the entirety of this episode, he, you might already uh, realize how many different you know pieces of the puzzle you need to be able to juggle. And I always say you know doing things for free is strangely freeing because yeah. um, it's very easy to ruin your reputation when you're entering you know, a business transaction um, and you screw it up because, you know, it just, it takes, it takes one, one mishap and your reputation could end up in tatters. So it's, it's a really good idea to grab any, any one body you can find, friends, family, brothers, sisters, mothers, whatever, you know. And practice. practice. That's the best way to learn too, right? You know, because I think yeah. just watching videos and then, you know, thinking that you know things, how to do it, it's far away from actually yeah, doing those it's, things. It's huge. That's the big, my yeah. my children and my wife can attest to that because they are they are probably the the best photographed family <laughs> in the okay. whole of the UK <laughs> because I put them through you know I put them oh. through hell and back. <laughs> I mean, it's you know my youngest daughter. She's it's funny. She's eleven now, um, but she is so like she's so used to just sitting in as a model. Like to her, it's mm -hmm. like. She's like, you know, whenever we do, um, whenever I've got an idea for, um, like a setup idea for the three heads in a row thing, you know, it might be some, I don't know, something to do with cameras or whatever. Yeah, I get her to sit in and she'd be like posing, doing the craziest poses. And then as soon as, you know, I take a shot, she'd be like doing her homework while she were playing. Yeah. And she'd go, oh, is it time to post go? She doesn't, you know, she's so used to that because she's been doing this ever since she was, I don't know, two or something, wow. you know. Um, and it's, it's the same with my wife. Like she'll she'll sit in when I'm let's say I'm experimenting with a different lighting setup or, or uh, I've got a new modifier or whatever, and I want to you know. Or the... So you should start renting them out. <laughs> yeah, I should, <laughs> I should. But um, you photographers, you pay her, and then you know she will pose for you. Exactly. Well, that's a that's a business model right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rafael, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show, and uh, like I said, you know. I've I've been, 
you know, I've been following you uh, ever since ever since the the tinfoil incident. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like most people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show. Um, hopefully, hopefully this wasn't the last time. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you are if you are listening to the audio version of this um, of this episode, then you know be advised that there's a fully fledged, fully technicolored um, video version over on YouTube. Uh, all you've got to do is type in Camera Shake Podcast or Camera Shake on YouTube. It'll it, it'll get you there. Um, of course, once you're there, make sure you hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, you know, hit the bell, and do all the things that all the good things that YouTubers usually tell you to do. Um, on the other hand, if you insist on listening to our beautiful voices on audio and you happen to be on Apple, make sure you leave us a five-star rating and a little review because that will help us being found. Anyway, that being said, that was episode 139. Uh, Raphael, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you for having me. Truly appreciate it. Thank you very much and we'll see you next Thursday. Thursday.